I don't know about you guys, but I, I needed to sing that this morning. That was good. Let's pray together. God, we give you praise and glory and attention in this place and ask that you would be the only voice that's heard in the next moments. That even those words we sing, that, that I love you more than any other, God, we long for those things to be true, but God, just in the psalm before, we confess together that we're prone to wonder too. We know it, we feel it, we at times feel like we're just kind of teetering on that edge of sin and righteousness, of being near to you and, and running away from you. So teach us, God, to be like the deer that pants for streams of water. God, teach us to long for you. Teach us, uh, oh Jesus, that our only joy is found in you. God, just as we sang that you alone are the real joy giver. And God, we declare together, regardless of how we feel, you alone are our strength and our shield. We ask you to speak even now as we open your word together in the name of Christ. God's people together said, amen. Well, good morning again. Welcome to Bayview Glen. My name is Lucas. I'm the lead pastor here. We're thrilled that you're here with us this morning, um, uh, lifting up Jesus together, hearing from his word, making much of him. Just as we get started, I wanted to let you know kind of what's on the horizon for the next couple of weeks here at Bayview, just so you can kind of be planning and thinking as, as we uh, move into the fall here. There's actually leaves already changing up by our house up, up in Stouffville, so the fall is, is almost upon us here, Andrew, which is very, very disappointing. Um, so next week, I'll actually be away. I'll be at Upper Room Alliance Church preaching uh, in VJ Krishnan's absence. VJ preached here a couple weeks ago, so uh, VJ and his dad Sunder and I did kind of a little swap over the last couple of weeks, and so uh, next week, Sundar Krishnan will be here, Vijay's dad. If you've never heard Sundar before, you are very much in for a treat. He's a brilliant man and a great preacher, and he's doing a uh, sermon called Holy Space, Holy Time, and, and what he's going to do is help uh, kind of equip us, us with some tools to maximize our personal devotional time with the Lord. When you spend kind of those private times with the Lord, sometimes we kind of meander around the scriptures for a little while and we pray a couple of things and then we kind of are done and we're not quite sure what happened there. But Sunder is going to help us kind of shape those times with a message called Holy Space, Holy Time. You're going to love it. And then the following week, we're going to start to talk about for five weeks what it means to connect here at Bayview Glen. We're going to start with connecting to our mission, vision, and values. We're going to talk about what it means to connect in membership. We're going to talk, uh, talk about what it means to connect in small groups. And we're calling that series Connect. Clever, right? This is why, this is why I get paid the big bucks to come up with clever series titles like Connect, And so that's what we're going to do uh, starting those five weeks. As part of that series, Dave Hearn 
who's the president of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, will be here to help us connect to the overall vision of the CMA. My friend Dom Russo, who's 38 years old, he's a PhD in historical theology. He was born in Montreal, speaks French, Italian, and English, left Montreal to become a uh, lead pastor in a church in Sarnia, and grew that church by about four times during his tenure there, and also did a PhD in historical theology at the University of Toronto while he was there, has kind of recently felt God's call to go back to Montreal to plant a church. And so uh, Dom and his family are actually moving today from Sarnia, driving to Montreal with all of their things. And Dom is going to be planting a church there as a new venture of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And so Dom is going to help us kind of understand uh, what it means to be connected to that vision of church planting, and not just church planting specifically, but what it means to be a multiplying church. And so he'll be here uh, preaching in Italian that morning, so enjoy that. Um, no, he's, he's going he's gonna to preach in English. So we, we, we just have great things on the horizon. We have great things on the horizon here at Bayview as Sunder is here next week and then as we launch into our series called Connect the following week. But before we do that, We've got to finish the book of Colossians. Today is the last day in our summer series, The Hope of Glory, a study in the book of Colossians. And before we read the text, I would invite you to pray with me. God, this is your word that we're about to read, and so we kind of come, come to it, I, I guess, God, today um, for me, and I pray on behalf of this congregation that we would come to it with maybe a new kind of posture of seriousness. Not that we have to be stern or, or kind of, you know, turn the corners of our mouth down or anything, but, 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 but we want to hold these words with the kind of weight that you would have us hold them with. Remind us, oh God, that you are speaking to us as we read these four verses from Colossians chapter 4. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. If you don't have a Bible, the scripture's up here on the screen. There's also a Bible in the seat back in front of you, but we would love for you to have the text in front of you if you can. If you brought your own Bible, if you've got a phone or an iPad you're using, that's great too. Uh, or the scripture's up here on the screen. Colossians 4, verses 3 through 6, here's what we're covering today. Paul writes this, at the same time, pray also for us. So Dave mentioned last week that Paul had been talking about prayer in Colossians 4 verse 2. That's what we talked about last week. So he continues this same thought about prayer in verse 3. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, the key phrase in this passage, in this paragraph, is right kind of in the middle of that paragraph. And the key phrase is this, making the best use of time. 
Making the best use of time. It's up there on the screen. And if you like to underline in your Bible, please don't underline in our Bible. But if it's your Bible, you can underline and underline that phrase, making the best use of time. Because this is Paul's focus here. Paul is about to tell us in Colossians 4 verses 3 through 6 how to make the best use of time. And I absolutely love that phrase, making the best use of time, because it can be translated redeeming the time. It can be translating, translated making the most of every opportunity. Listen close now because this is critical. It's literally the picture of a bargain hunter who is on the hunt for a great deal. It's literally the picture of someone that's shopping and is looking to buy up or take advantage of the best possible bargain that they can get. How many of you are like me and you love a good bargain? Just throw your hands up now. Good. That's awesome. I'm the same way. Like, I'll buy stuff I don't need or at the very least consider it, you know, if it's cheap. Like, classic Nintendo games, sure, I need some of those, right? 15-pound tub of mayonnaise at Costco for $3, great bargain, I'm going to get it, even though I don't even eat mayonnaise. Or how many of you are like me, and when you find a good bargain, you make sure you call your friends and tell them that you found a good bargain? Some of you? Some of you, I know you don't call your friends, you Instagram it, because I watch your Instagram accounts. You Instagram when you find a good bargain. Like, you know, I, this is kind of a generalization. I get this, but stick with me here. It's like women will post on Instagram. Men sometimes do. Men sometimes do this. I get that. It's a generalization. I get that. But it's like they have this whole outfit thing put together, and it looks really great. And the caption is like, I paid $7.56 for this whole outfit. Hashtag awesome. Hashtag bargain shopper. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag God is good. And and, and you, you, you are proud when you find a great bargain, a great deal. Amy and I once got gift cards for Christmas a few years ago. And uh, after Christmas sales plus gift cards equals absolute pandemonium for me and Amy, right? So we go to this department store and there's a pair of jeans. Amy finds this pair of jeans for $200. Now, $200 is not in our jeans budget, but they were on clearance and we had a gift card. So it's like, man, this is awesome, right? So Amy takes the, the, the jeans that are on clearance that are already very, very cheap. It's already a great deal. And she brings them up to the counter, and they ring up the jeans for eight bucks. Eight bucks. I was like, hurry and pay, babe. Let's get out of here so they don't catch us, right? So she got jeans for eight bucks. Last year, there was a bargain hunter uh, cruising garage sales in Vancouver, and saw these two paintings, they're up here on the screen, uh, Cruising Garage Sales in Vancouver, saw these two paintings, and paid a hundred bucks for those two paintings. You think, those are nice paintings, right? Turns out that Frederick Varley painted one of them, he's one of the group of seven, and Tom Thompson, who inspired the group of seven, uh, painted the other one. Those two paintings sold at auction in May for $117,000. He paid a hundred bucks for the two of them. I would say that he got a pretty good deal, a pretty great bargain. So here's the deal. In, in these four verses, Paul mentions open doors for the gospel. 
He mentions clear, gracious speech toward outsiders. He mentions our interactions with those who aren't part of the community of faith. And he mentions answering questions about our faith. This passage, verses 3 through 6 of Colossians chapter 4, is all about evangelism. It's all about sharing your faith. It's all, it's all about telling others about Jesus, however you want to talk about that. And Paul says to us, those are the opportunities you have to take advantage of. Make the most of those times. Those are moments, those are bargains that you cannot let pass you by. Make the most of those times. So here's what Paul is saying. Here's our bottom line truth for today. What we're going to unpack is is this. Sharing your faith in Christ is a bargain you don't want to pass up. Sharing your faith in Christ is a bargain you don't want to pass up. Telling someone about Jesus is an opportunity that you do not want to slip by. Look, you think it's a great deal to get a pair of $200 jeans for 8 bucks? How about making an investment that changes someone's eternal destination? That's a pretty good bargain. You think those paintings were a good deal? How about just a little bit of effort, just a little bit of vocalization about what you believe about Jesus and what he's done in your life, and you might see him radically transform the life of a friend or family member. Now, that's a steal of a deal. That's a bargain. That's a maximum and eternal return on investment sharing your faith in christ is a bargain that you do not want to pass up don't make evangelism more complicated than it is it is simply making extremely wise investments in the here and now that pay eternal dividends And it is the responsibility of every Christ follower, according to Colossians chapter 4 and according to the rest of Scripture, by the way, to be ready when those moments present themselves, when those bargains present themselves. And we have to take advantage of them when they come. So in these four verses, Paul gives us some very practical instructions on how to make sure we don't squander the unbelievable opportunities that we have to make an eternal difference for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of Jesus. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about six things that Paul tells us in these four verses to help us buy up opportunities for evangelism, to help us maximize those opportunities, to help us take advantage every time there's an open door for the sake of the gospel. So here we're going to do, let's let's unpack these six things that Paul tells us. We'll start in verse 3. Go back to verse 3 there. Paul says this, at the same time, say it with me now, pray. Also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. You hear he's talking about evangelism there. Paul says, do you want to maximize every chance you get? Do you want to make sure you buy up every bargain, take advantage of every opportunity for evangelism? Make sure that you're prayerful. He says, be prayerful. Be prayerful. I mean, we spent a ton of time on prayer last week, so I want to make this one brief. First of all, and you can throw that up on the screen. It should be point number one, be prayerful. Be prayerful. Like I said, we spent a ton of time on prayer last week, so I want to make this brief. The first thing I want to tell you is this. This is the Apostle Paul speaking here. 
he wrote 70% of the New Testament and he started an evangelism epidemic that revolutionized the world around him and still has impact 2,000 years later. We're sitting in part of that impact right now this morning. And even he prayed for gospel opportunities. And he asked other people that he'd never even met before, the Colossian church, by the way, to pray for him as well for gospel opportunities. And if the apostle Paul prayed for gospel opportunities, don't you think we might need some prayer too? Don't you think we ought to come before the Lord and ask him for those opportunities too? The second thing I would tell you about this point, be prayerful, is this. I often hear people tell me, and say, Luke, you know, I don't really get a lot of opportunities to have conversations about my faith. I don't get a lot of opportunities to have conversations about Jesus. You know, it just doesn't come up, or I've tried before and it hasn't worked. And my question to those folks is this, how often do you pray for those opportunities? Because if you're not asking for the opportunity, how, how would you expect that it would come up? How would you expect that that opportunity to maximize uh, the gospel, how would you expect that that opportunity would present itself? And if you aren't aren't prayerful, how would you even expect to see it when it does present itself? So be prayerful. Be prayerful when it comes to those gospel opportunities. And what do we pray for? Verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us that what? God may open to us a door for the word. I love this. I love what Paul is saying here. Let's be really clear. We, you and I, do not afford ourselves opportunities to share our faith. God does that. He is the author of those moments. He calls men and women to himself, not us. So we walk through whatever doors God opens, but we don't have to kick those doors down. We are are supposed to take advantage of every opportunity, but we don't have to awkwardly force opportunities, okay? So be patient. Be patient. That's tool number two that Paul gives us when it comes to maximizing gospel opportunities, buying up every opportunity. Be patient. God will open doors of opportunity for you to share your faith. Our job is simply to be prayerful and be patient. I do find that many Christians aren't terribly patient when it comes to evangelism. You know, there's some of us in this room, and I I would uh, kind of lump myself into this category, that have committed to pray for a friend or a family member to come to know Jesus, and we stopped, didn't we? Maybe we prayed for a while, but, but then we stopped because we weren't patient. We weren't patient in prayer. Or, or instead of being, I, I watch like awkward evangelists all the time do this, like the, the, because they're not patient and waiting for God to open those doors, they awkwardly force those doors open themselves. You know, they're like, you know, how many walls does this room have? Four? Four, you say? Good. That actually reminds me of those four spiritual laws. And then they launch into the four spiritual laws. It's like, wow, that was an awkward transition for everybody. You don't have to be awkward. Just be prayerful and be patient and God will open those doors to you. And when he opens those doors, walk through them. Be prayerful, be patient, 
Let's keep going. Verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. There it is. That's, that's evangelism. On account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Then verse 5. Love it. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. If you want to buy up every opportunity you have for evangelism, better yet, if you want to make sure you don't squander opportunities for evangelism, be wise. Be wise, especially when it comes to your conduct with those who are not part of the community of faith. Now, I want to talk about this a little bit so we kind of understand what Paul is saying here. Wisdom, according to Webster's Dictionary, is the ability to apply knowledge, experience, and good judgment in a particular situation. That's what wisdom is. So when it comes to a lot of life decisions like being honest and paying taxes and being faithful to your spouse, those kinds of things, we don't have to apply good wisdom or judgment. You know why? Because the Bible's already told us exactly what to do. The Bible has already made expectations very, very clear in a lot of areas of life. But there are gray areas. There are areas of life that the Bible does not explicitly address. And in those areas, God gives us liberty, but he exhorts us to be wise. To apply good judgment and make a wise choice especially when it comes to your conduct with those who don't know Jesus because if you apply foolishness and make a foolish choice you will mark my words squander an opportunity to share the gospel I want to offer you just four questions real quickly to maybe help you in those situations where where you face a gray area of conduct to help you maximize gospel opportunities and make wise choices. And then I want to give you an example of how it worked itself out in my own life and how it helped me to make a wise choice for the sake of the gospel. All right, so here's the four questions when it comes to being wise in your conduct towards outsiders. Number one, will it advance the gospel will it advance the gospel will this thing i'm doing this place i'm going this person i'm hanging out with this item i'm purchasing this thing i'm drinking will it advance the gospel sometimes the answer is yes sometimes the answer is no if the answer is no abort mission if the answer is yes Proceed to question two. Question two, can I handle it? That's, that's a real straightforward question. Can I handle it? Look, in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, Paul talks about these biblical gray areas. And he talks about making wise choices. Listen to what he writes. He says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Paul says, I can do what I want, but I refuse to be mastered by or controlled by anything. So Paul says when it comes to wisdom, especially when it relates to your interaction with and your conduct with people who don't know Jesus, ask yourself this, can I handle it? If I engage in this activity or relationship, if I put myself into this situation, even if, listen close now, 
even if the Bible does not explicitly forbid it, is it going to control me? Is it going to master me? Is it going to overcome me and the Spirit of God no longer be in control of me, but this situation or this person or this thing I'm drinking? Let's just go back to that one. All right, is it going to control me or can I handle it? If the answer to that question, can I handle it, is no, abort mission. If the answer is yes, proceed to question three. Question three, will the focus remain on Jesus? Will the focus remain on Jesus? Look, there might be some things that you are free to do biblically that the Bible gives you some Christian liberty and some freedom in and they aren't necessarily sinful, but... But they might detract from or distract, distract from, pull attention away from Jesus and onto you and your behavior. So ask yourself when it comes to those gray areas, when it comes to walking in wisdom towards outsiders in this moment, will this choice, will this behavior distract from the gospel or will, will the focus remain on Jesus and not on my behavior? Finally, question four. Question four, and then I want to give you an example of how it worked itself out in my life so, so we kind of all understand what's happening here. Question four, am I looking for an open door? Am I actively looking for an open door? We just, we just said we're going to pray for open doors, pray for opportunities. Am I actively looking for an open door? Again, in the midst of this activity or relationship, Am I searching for God to open a door for me to share the gospel with somebody? Or, or am I just here for my own pleasure? Because that's not actively looking for an open door. That's just, oh, I have Christian liberty to go do what I want. But that's not actively looking for an open door to share the gospel. Those four questions will help you make wise decisions when it comes to your conduct with outsiders. Those who are not part of the community of faith. Now, here's the example. You ready? When I was in college, I once had the opportunity to serve in a ministry to prostitutes and exotic dancers. So we put together like these care baskets for women in the sex industry. And uh, we delivered those baskets to those women while they were working. Like at strip clubs. Okay, a bunch of us college students. And it was a thing that we did every year. It was called the Magdalene Project, and we did it on a regular basis. So here we go. Let's apply our questions. Are you ready? Did it advance the gospel? Yes. Can I handle it? No. Would my interaction with strippers in the club distract from the gospel, or is the focus going to remain on Jesus, or is the focus going to go to my behavior? Focus is going to go to my behavior, right? No. Did we pray for and look for open doors? Yes, we did. We did. So did I do it? No. Because I need four yeses and I just got two no's. I can't handle it. Look, even if my answers to questions one and four are yes, if I can't handle it, if that situation takes control of me rather than God's spirit being in control, I'm going to embarrass Jesus and squander my opportunity for the gospel. Even if I'm looking for an open door. If it takes control of me and, and if my behavior becomes the focus rather than Jesus and his kingdom being the focus, I got to find another way to serve, don't I? So here's what we did. 
a couple of buddies of mine and I helped put baskets together, and then we offered to be the drivers, and we stayed in the car. The women in our group went into clubs or went into prostitutes on the street and delivered these care baskets and said, God loves you, Jesus is on your team, we care about you. We made a wise choice, at least I think so. Do you think so? Good. All right. Come on now. We made a wise choice. Anybody that said no, you're a sinner, man. I tell you what. We made a wise choice in order to buy up an opportunity and not squander an opportunity to share the gospel. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to go through these slow. When it comes to those gray areas where the Bible is not clear, be wise. Ready? Should I go to happy hour with my buddies after work? The Bible does not explicitly forbid it. Doesn't. Doesn't. But be wise. Should I buy a new blank? Car, skirt, tub of mail from Costco, whatever. Be wise. Should I go to lunch with a coworker of a different gender? The Bible does not explicitly forbid it, but should I go to lunch with a coworker of a different gender? Be wise. Please ask yourself that question when it comes to your conduct with outsiders. Is this wise? And then ask these follow-up questions. Will it advance the gospel? Can I handle it? Will the focus remain on Jesus? And am I actively looking for an open door? You got four yeses? Please take advantage of that gospel opportunity. Those questions, those four questions, will help you walk in wisdom toward outsiders in order to make the most of every opportunity. Keep going, keep going. We're just keep reading here. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. There's our key phrase. Buy up every opportunity. Verse 6, let your speech always be gracious. Please seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul says... If you want to make the most of your opportunities to share the gospel, you must be gracious. Be gracious. I could spend months, and I am not kidding, talking about demonstrating God's grace to others, especially for those who don't already know Jesus. We don't have that kind of time. I've got maybe 15 minutes left. So let me say two things. John 16, verse 8, tells us that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin. That means a lot of things, but one of the things it does mean is that that's not your job to convict the world of sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's above your pay grade. So it's not your job to make someone aware of their sin and need for God. That's God's job. He's got it handled. Number two, gracious speech, kind speech, undeserved favor and kindness and goodness coming out of your mouth. Forgiving words can, got to hear it. Those things can draw the person that you never expected would come to Jesus. That you never expected just gracious speech coming out of your mouth. Your words have the power to move someone toward Jesus. Or if you're not gracious, it will move someone away real quick. I read a story this week about a guy named Arian Foster. You know who Arian Foster is? Arian Foster, for those of you who watch the NFL, he's one of the premier running backs in the NFL, Arian Foster. What you might uh, not know is that the NFL is a sport that's dominated by people of faith. 
uh, all the people in the NFL are not necessarily Christians, but the majority of NFL players, National Football League players, claim some sort of religious affiliation or belief in God. So in a recent ESPN article, when Arian Foster disclosed that he is an atheist, that he is not a person of faith, that he does not believe that God exists, that meant that God exists, that, that meant that he was a little bit of a black sheep when it comes to the NFL. And in that same article, Arian Foster also talked about a very close relationship that he has with a former teammate named Justin Forsett. They talk almost daily. Justin Forsett is a very, very devout Christian. And he and Arian Foster talk almost daily. It, it told in the article that uh, Justin Forsett will text Arian Foster um, and he'll say, hey man, hope you're having a great day. Almost daily they talk and he always ends every text, I'll pray for you. And Arian Foster always ends every text in response, I'll think for you. <laughs> Arian Foster is known as being very brash in the NFL, very abrasive and even cutting at times. Listen to what Arian Foster said about his friend and former teammate Justin Forsett. Here's what I respect about him. Here's the quote. Here's what I respect about him. Justin was never like, hey man, you're going to hell. He was like, this is what I believe is the right way and I'll pray for you. I never feel arrogance or judgment. He never acted like he had something I don't have. He simply said, I would love for you to experience this. Now listen close, here's the kicker, and I quote, Aaron Foster talking about Justin Forsett and his gracious speech, and that's more divine than anything I've ever come across. Aaron Foster, who does not believe in any God at all, is talking about things that are divine simply because of Justin Forsett's gracious speech. Do you see how critical it is? Think about what you needed when you were far from God. What did you need to hear? You needed to hear about God's grace and forgiveness in the same way your friends and family that don't know Jesus don't need to know about all the ways they're messing up. God's got that handled. Let the life-transforming grace of God overflow from your heart and be the wellspring of how you speak to those who don't know Jesus. Be gracious. Keep reading verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. This is great. So that you may know how to answer each person. So I alluded to this comment last week, but that phrase, seasoned with salt, is a really great phrase in the original Greek. In the original language, uh, th th that phrase is, is, is really critical. Because today, when we talk about salty language... We're not like talking about good language, are we? We're, not, we're talking about the kind of stuff we don't want our kids to hear. It's like, look, look, stop with the salty language. You've got a pirate's mouth, right? That's what we say about salty language. But back then, 2,000 years ago in classical Greek, having your speech seasoned with salt was a good thing. That phrase meant witty, funny, not kidding, funny, humorous, enjoyable, light, and I would use the word winsome. So Paul is saying when it comes to your interactions with people who don't know Jesus, be winsome. Be winsome. Winsome, again, we'll go back to Webster's Dictionary, means attractive or appealing in appearance or character. Let's put it in common language. This is just the, the NLT, the New Lucas translation, okay? Paul says, don't be a jerk for Jesus. 
The church does not need any more folks walking around with a frown on their face. Why? Because that's not winsome. It's not attractive or appealing in any way. As Paul would say, it's just not salty. Be joyful. And if you have a frown on your face but joy in your heart, tell your heart to tell your face and show it on the outside. When it comes to outsiders, who would want a Jesus that doesn't prompt joy, that doesn't engender peace, that doesn't give you a winsome spirit? So Paul says in your interaction with outsiders, as you buy up every opportunity for the sake of the gospel, be seasoned with salt, be winsome. We're going to conclude with one more because I think it's critical. Here we go. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. Now, some of us may be tempted to focus on the answer part here, how you ought to answer. But I want to draw your attention to that phrase, each person. Here's what Paul is saying. There's no evangelism script. There's no one-size-fits-all response. You have to be specific. Be specific. Know how you ought to answer each person. Listen close. Some Christians tend to focus on the prep part. So we have all the answers down when it comes to like the hot-button issues of our faith, right? We got our answer down when it comes to creation. We got our answer down when it comes to the inerrancy of Scripture. And, you know, is it, is, does it contradict here or there? We got all our answers down when it comes to that stuff. And they're locked and loaded like missiles ready to fire when anybody asks a question, aren't they? But what if you're talking to somebody that doesn't care about any of that stuff? What if you're, what if you're talking to somebody and all they need to know is if God can heal their broken heart? What if all they need is a friend to pray for them? What if they just need to know that God cares about them and you miss all that because you had a generic answer ready that you just wanted to unload on them whenever you got the chance, but you didn't listen to that specific person and their specific needs. And check this out. Do you know this? That the Bible actually promises that in those situations, God will give you the words that you need to answer their specific question. The Bible actually promises that. So Paul says to us, look, each person is different. Each person is unique. Each person is specific. So listen, empathize, and respond to specific needs in specific situations such that you could maximize your gospel opportunities. I, I'll, this is just my heart, right? This is not, not in my notes here. Here's what, here's, here's what I dream about. Here's what gets me up in the morning. Here's what keeps me up late at night. Here's the reason I come to work. I dream of a church that takes advantage of gospel opportunities. That's what I dream about. I dream of a group of people, that's you by the way, and me, that is on the lookout all the time for those open doors for the gospel that has a heart for people who don't know Jesus, a, a church that takes the Great Commission seriously, go into all the world and make disciples, share your faith, tell somebody about the hope that you found in Christ. 
Can you imagine if that was, our, if that was us? Right? If each of us was on the hunt for gospel opportunities, opportunities to share our faith, just like we're on the hunt for bargains on winter coats. <laughs> we, we, we would change the greater Toronto area like that. Like that. God would do a work in and through us like that if we were simply on the lookout for those opportunities. So be prayerful, be patient, be wise and gracious, be winsome, please, and specific, answer each person as they have need because sharing your faith in Christ is a bargain you do not want to pass up. Investments in the here and now to pay maximum and eternal dividends. Will you join your hearts with me in prayer? God, thanks for the opportunity to worship you today. Thanks for your grace to us and your goodness. Would you teach us to be this kind of a people? Would you teach us to be this kind of a church? Would you stir up in us that weight of responsibility that we have not to kick down doors of opportunity, but simply walk through those open doors whenever you present them by being gracious and winsome and specific and prayerful and patient. God, teach us to be a church on the move for the sake of the good news of Jesus Christ. Together, God's people said, amen.